Okay, for those who are expecting that we're going to be continuing our lessons in the Gospel of John, you may be a little bit disappointed. We're going to do something different this week. But uh, I take no responsibility for this whatsoever. And what happened is after our message last, after our time together last Sunday, we had a communion service last Sunday. And uh, after almost everybody left, I was left here with five people. And uh, I sat down, and, and as, as some of you know, I really struggle with priorities in life. There's so many things to do, and, and so uh, I was asking for some advice, and I certainly got some advice from the group. And some of the advice that I got was, they said, this next Sunday, Chuck, instead of teaching the Gospel of John, we want you to take a break, and we want you to reteach a lesson that you taught to a midweek Uh, about two months ago, a lesson that was not recorded. We want you to flesh that out and to teach that more fully. And I protested, and I didn't want to teach the message, as some of you who are are here know. And I gave all kinds of good reasons why it wouldn't be a good idea to teach the message, the main one being that there's a tremendous risk of me being understood and alienating a lot of my friends out there who might listen to this message. So... I want to give some background for the lesson, and then we'll dive in. But first, uh, Isaiah chapter 55, this is a a scripture that my wife gave me this morning, which is is good for all of us, a reminder of of God, that God's ways are not our ways, and that His Word will go out and accomplish whatever its purpose is. Isaiah chapter 55, starting in verse 6, and I'm reading here. I'm reading here from the uh, Orthodox Study Bible, which is based on the Septuagint. It says, Seek God, and when you find Him, call upon Him when He draws near to you. Let the ungodly man abandon his ways, and the lawless man his counsels. And let him return to the Lord, and He will have mercy on him, for He shall forgive your sins abundantly. For my counsels are not as your counsels, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. But as heaven is distant from the earth, so is my way distant from your ways, and your thoughts from my mind. For as rain comes down or snow from heaven, and does not return until it saturates the earth, and it brings forth and produces, and gives seed to the sower and bread for food, so shall my word be, whatever proceeds from my mouth. It will not return until it accomplishes whatever I willed, and I shall prosper your ways and my commandments. Um, amen to that. A little background for the lesson that I gave two months ago. This was, this was a lesson I gave in a midweek. There was no, no recorder, and so it was just... It was basically off the cuff on some notes that I scratched down on a piece of paper. And uh, what happened was we had a retreat July of this year, July 2018. We had a house church retreat in Pennsylvania. And we opened it up to anyone who's, who's kind of fellow travelers who are walking down the same path in terms of people who share the convictions that we do, that we need to obey Jesus, we want to follow all his kingdom teachings, the popular ones and the unpopular ones, and we just want to be Christians. And uh, so we had a a diverse group come, and then some people brought their friends and their family uh, members with them, which made an even even more diverse group. 
Uh, many of us were from Restoration Movement backgrounds, some people from Anabaptist backgrounds, but still there were others from other backgrounds altogether. Uh, outward appearances varied quite a bit, as you might expect, particularly noticeable among the women. So we had everything from the conservative uh, Pennsylvania rural Anabaptist cape dress style to, to modern dress and everything in between. Uh, some people with no makeup, no jewelry, some people who dress more like, uh, like most, people, most people around us do. And uh, uh, so there was a tremendous diversity in the way that the women appeared outwardly. And there's also been, some, some women had started off in one place but had been on a journey and had changed their convictions and their style of dress over time, influenced by the scriptures, influenced by the early Christians, things like that. So it was a very diverse and interesting collection of people, and uh, almost everyone there really enjoyed a time of great fellowship and, and people looking forward saying, when are we going to do this again next year? But I noticed something in our time away... That, that would disturb me, and I thought about it on the way back, and I thought, I want to talk about this when we get together just for us on a Wednesday night. I noticed that there was a tendency with some people, and I, and I would include myself in there. I'm not trying to make anybody feel particularly bad right now. We talked about this a couple months ago. I noticed there was a tendency. I just want to give background for the lesson. Uh, when I look in, in a, in a uh, when I open up a drawer and, and the forks are all there and, and all the forks are perfectly lined up, but one of them is backwards from all the others, I'm one of those people who wants to make them all line up, okay? I'm just, that's, I'm an engineer, that's the way I am. I'm like, I want things to be kind of the same, if you get, you get the idea. So... <clears throat> What happened was, you know, when we get together a group of people, and most of, the pe most of the women there are dressed conservatively, they're dressed with head coverings, uh, you know, no makeup, no jewelry, but there are other people who are coming in from different backgrounds who may be dressed very much like some of us were just a few years ago. There is a tendency inside many of us to say, let's fix them so they look like the rest of us. Okay, I get that. Because this is the thing you notice. You notice the outside and it doesn't quite fit together. So this is, this is a, it's a natural tendency. And uh, so I thought about this. And this, this is, to me, this is very common. This is, this is, t this is a, a very a human and natural tendency. When you see someone, the first thing you notice is the outside. And you want to address something that doesn't look right on the outside. So I, I want to talk about this because actually Jesus talked about this and I think there's some important principle here that's very easy to miss. So I gave a lesson on a Wednesday night. Just I said scratched out the notes on the back of an index card. And after that lesson, I got more feedback on that lesson than any lesson I've taught this year. People were asking for the notes, and I said, I don't have any notes. It's just scratched on the back of an index card. And they kept pressing me on it. So I, I typed up the notes and handed them out. And then even people who got the notes, people said, I want the notes. I didn't even hear the lesson. And then they said, when are you going to record this lesson? So the reason, as I said, the reason I didn't want to record the lesson, even last Sunday when I was being prevailed upon to do it, was because I'm concerned that that people are going to take it the wrong way. And let me explain to you, okay? I would say 
Uh, maybe 95% of the Christians, I don't know what the percentage is, I'm just making up a number, maybe 95% of the people who believe in Jesus, who are around us, the attitude is, we just believe in Jesus, we have a nice warm feeling about Jesus in our heart, he did it all for us, he's going to save us, that's great, and let's, you know, either we don't have to obey the teachings of Jesus, it's really not necessary, or we're just going to obey the ones that we want to. And there are a number of teachings that Jesus gave in the kingdom of God, his teachings on the kingdom of God that are very unpopular today. Teachings on non-resistance, on, on women covering their heads when they pray, separation from the world, holiness, modesty, permanence of marriage. These are very unpopular teachings in, in the world around us, even in the Christian world around us. And I appreciate so much that there are some people out there in the Christian world who are willing to take the hard teachings of Jesus and do what these things say and strive, strive to do that. So in the course of the teaching that we have in our house church here, which goes out, uh, it's, it's put up on the website and goes out to other places, uh, probably 95% of the Christians that are out there are offended by something we're teaching somewhere along the line. And the other 5% are people who say, no, no, we have to obey the teachings of Jesus, the kingdom teachings, and we have to obey all of them. The thing that I'm concerned about in teaching this class is that the only 5% who are, who are supporting me and my teaching, I'm going to offend them. And I told when, when, when brothers and sisters got together, the five uh, last week, and talked to me about teaching this lesson, I said, I'm going to lose the only friends I have left if I teach this lesson, because they won't understand what I'm trying to say. And they said, don't worry, Chuck, you'll still have the five of us. <laughs> so, so, so here we go. Um, and the other reason I didn't want to give the lesson, I said, I just gave this lesson two months ago. And they said, that's okay. And I don't want to bore people by telling them the same thing twice. They said, that's okay, Chuck. We want to hear it again. So some of you may be wondering, why is Chuck teaching this lesson again? He already taught it once. So that's, that's the reason why. So don't blame me. Don't blame me too much. Um, so if anyone who's listening to this recording or remotely, I want you to understand something. This is a message that is addressed to people in our group. Uh, this is, I'm not going after somebody who's across the street, down the road, or four states away. I'm going after the hearts of our own group. This is for us. And after we take the plank out of our own eye, maybe at some point in time we'll be able to help other people out. But that, I just want you to understand, this is, this is for the home crowd here. This is what this is for. Uh, and uh, uh, I reminded an early Christian, it might have been Tertullian, who said it's easier to kill the cub than the full-grown lion. So I feel, well, well let's kill it at the, at the early stages of this, this problem that, that we're seeing right here. The convictions, uh, the convictions uh, that, that I think we need, really need to get on straight. Uh, another, another thing I thought of is that, uh, you know, when, when the U.S. military is going after a bad guy in the Middle East, you know, they'll figure out where he is with their spy satellites, then they'll send a drone in and do a laser strike on the house where the bad guy is, and they send in the special forces afterwards, and they 
dig through the rubble and then maybe they find the body of the bad guy, but a lot of times they'll find that there's seven or eight other people in the rubble also. And the military has an expression for those other people that they find dead. They're called collateral damage. So while the primary audience is us, there may be some collateral damage. And uh, that's just the way it goes when you're in a spiritual war here. But those are not the intended targets. Uh, And as always, I want you to go back and study the scriptures out and develop convictions on this yourself. Who cares? At the end of the day, who cares what Chuck Pike thinks? What do the scriptures say is the only thing that's really important? So I don't want people to say, well, Chuck Pike said this, Chuck Pike said that. It's irrelevant. Study the scriptures and get your own convictions. Foundational teaching. The foundation of foundations. Let's start in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. There's a great principle in here that you might not have thought about before, but we want to take a look at this. Deuteronomy chapter 6, this is one of the most famous passages in all the Bible. Jesus says that, Jesus himself said, the most important command in the entire Old Testament is contained right here. Start reading in verse 1. Uh, now these are the commandments and ordinances and judgments the Lord our God commanded to teach you that you may do them in the land you are crossing over to inherit and may fear the Lord your God to keep all his ordinances and commandments I command you today. You and your sons and the sons of your sons all the days of your life so your days may be prolonged. Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to do it that it may be well with you and you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers told you to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. These are the ordinances and judgments the Lord commanded the children of Israel in the desert when they came from the land of Egypt. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. You shall love the Lord your God with your whole heart, from your whole soul, from your whole power. These words I command you today shall be in your heart and in your soul. You shall teach them to your sons. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and it shall be immovable before your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your houses and on your gates. So this is a famous command. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 22 and Mark chapter 12, this is the greatest command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, this is, if there was any doubt that this is the most important command, this whole discussion is repeated in Deuteronomy chapter 11. That to do all of these things, to, to, to embrace this, to put it, in, to put it in, into practice. And uh, then after, in Deuteronomy 11, after the people are reminded of all these things, in verse 26, it says, Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God I commanded you today, and a curse if you do not obey the commands of the Lord your God, but go astray from the way I've commanded you today to go after different gods you've not known. So 
God repeats this command. He says, if you put this into practice, you will be blessed in whatever you do. But if you don't, you're going to be destroyed. You're going to be smashed. Love the Lord your God and do all these things. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, what are the commands here? There are actually a few. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the one we're most familiar with. But there are other commands in here too. The other commands include, it says, teach them to your children. Talk about them when you're sitting down, when you're getting up, when you're walking along the road, when you're lying down to bed, when you get up in the morning. He says, you talk about this all the time. You impress this on your children. And there's even more commands in here. He also says, write these words on the door frames of your house and write these words on the gates. Okay? So this is an, there's, there are several different commands that are contained in here. Now, the commands that we remember in this passage are love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength because Jesus reminded us of that and he said that's the most important command. However, when the Jews, many of the Jews heard this command, guess what they focused on? Write the commands on the door frames of your house and your gates and bind them on your hands and between your eyes. If you watch old movies of Jesus, sometimes you'll see there's a little leather pouch that had scriptures in it that the Jesus or other people are binding to their forearms or they're binding to their forehead to go right between their eyes. So this was the command. This was, these were the phylacteries. So people would, this is part of the command. You obey, you love God, you obey his commands, you teach it to others, and you put it on your, you put the word of God between your eyes, put it on your arms, put it on the door frame of your house, uh, and so forth. I grew up in New Jersey, and it's at an outskirts, basically a suburb of New York City. And I remember going into New York City, and it was a lot of Jewish people live in New York City, and walking down an apartment hallway, and on one of the door frames, there was this little thing that looked to me like a harmonica that was, like, it looked like a harmonica that was nailed to the, the frame of the door. And being a sensitive and diplomatic person from New Jersey, I said, hey, to my Jewish friend, hey, what's with the harmonica being nailed at the door frame? <laughs> and I was told, that's not a harmonica, that is a mezuzah. And what's a mezuzah, I'm sure you're asking, what is a mezuzah? Is a little box that holds scriptures in it, it holds part of the law of Moses in it. And so, I didn't know this passage from Deuteronomy chapter 6, but now I know exactly what that was for, is that they were doing exactly what it says. They were putting the word of God on the door frames of their houses. That's what they were doing. So at least they were taking part of Deuteronomy chapter 6 seriously. And obviously that's the easiest part to do. And it's the easiest the part that you can see. You can notice this. Anybody walking down the hallway can see them doing that. It's an external part of it. In Jesus' day, the Pharisees were doing what it said in Deuteronomy chapter 6 
but they were doing the external things. They were doing the things that were easy to do. In Matthew chapter 23 and verse 5, he says, he's speaking about the Pharisees, he says, all their works they do are to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. So they're focusing on the external things of the religion. They're doing those things. So they're reading Deuteronomy chapter 6, and you say, are you doing what it says here? Of course. I've got my phylactery. I've got the, I've got the scriptures on the door frame of my house. I've got the scriptures on my gate. Of course, I'm doing exactly what Jesus said. And you can see it for yourself. But of course they weren't because they weren't loving the Lord their God with their heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the point of the whole thing. The main point of what Jesus of what Moses is saying in Deuteronomy chapter 6 is the main point is you love the Lord your God with your whole heart, your whole soul, and with all the power that you have. That's the main point. The supporting point is write the scriptures on the, the door frame of your house and on the outside. Why are you doing that? Are you doing that to show that you're a good religious person? No, you're doing that because this is the scriptures. Every time you go in and out of the house, every time you go through the gate, you're being reminded of the word of God. It's a reminder of, of, of what you're supposed to be doing. So you got to get the, get the priority straight. The purpose is to love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength and pay attention to his words and meditate to his words and talk about his words and share them with the next generation so it doesn't get lost. And this is just something to support that. Okay, So you get got to get the, 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 the horse before the cart as the expression goes. Now let's turn to 1, chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 16. So an important aspect of the character of God. We started off in, in Isaiah that my ways are not like your ways. Well, this is one example that in 1 Samuel 16, or if you have a Septuagint uh, Bible, it's called 1 Kingdoms 16. <clears throat> I'm going to read verses 1 to 7. <coughs> now, Samuel was a priest... And he had anointed Saul as the first king over Israel. And then David becomes, after Saul, the second king over Israel. So God has rejected Saul because he, is a, he doesn't have a heart to follow God. He doesn't really love God. He's demonstrating that by disobedience. And uh, so, but there's an important thing to learn about what God appreciates and what God's looking for here. First Samuel chapter 16, we'll read verses 1 to 7. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with olive oil and come. I will send you to Jesse in Bethlehem, for I have seen someone among his sons for, uh, to reign for me. And Samuel said, How can I go? Saul will hear it and will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer on your arms and say, I have come to sacrifice the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You shall anoint the one I tell you. So Samuel did everything the Lord said to him and went to Bethlehem. Then the elders of the town were astonished at meeting him, and they said, Seer, do you come in peace? And he said, Peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and rejoice with me today. Then he sanctified Jesse and his sons, and he invited them to the sacrifice. 
And it came to be, when they entered, that Samuel looked at Eliab and said, Surely the anointed of the Lord is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Have no regard for his outward appearance, nor for the maturity of his stature, because I have refused him. For man does not see as God sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord sees into the heart. So Jesse called the men of David and made him pass before Samuel. And Samuel said, The Lord did not choose this one either. Then Jesse brought Shammah, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse brought seven of his sons before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are there any other men here? Then Jesse said, There remains yet the youngest keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Seer, uh, uh, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and a good looking to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Arise, anoint David, for he is good. Then Samuel took the horn of olive oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. So I read a little more than I had intended there, but uh, just get the whole story. Uh, down to verse 13. So, uh, Samuel, uh, when he picked Saul, Saul was an outwardly impressive man. He says he was a man who, who, who stood head and shoulders above the others, and he looked like a king is supposed to look. Okay? When the Lord handpicks a successor, uh, the, first, the first son of Jesse, who, who he lays eyes upon, he says, wow, this guy looks like a king. I mean, he's impressive. This has is, this is got to be the one the Lord has picked. This is, this is outwardly a very impressive looking man. But the Lord says... The Lord says, he's not the one. I, I, he's not the one I want. I, I refuse him. The Lord doesn't see as a man sees. It says, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart in some translations. Or it says uh, uh, in, in the, uh, the Septuagint, it says, man literally says, man looks at the face or the outward appearance of another man, but the Lord looks in the heart of the man. This is what God looks at. When he sees us, he doesn't see what people see. He sees our hearts. Now, that is both at the same time a comforting thought and also a terrifying thought because God knows exactly who we are. We can fool the world, but God knows what's really inside of our hearts. And that's what God's looking for. And that's why he picked David. David was not the big outwardly impressive guy, but he had a heart like none of his brothers and like no one else did. He was a man after God's own heart, and that's why he's picked, because that's what God wants to know. God's first and foremost interested in the heart. Let's read Mark chapter 7. This tendency... For man to look at the outward appearances also goes for, goes for religious people too. It applies to us. 
And we'll look at the interaction that Jesus had with the Jews who were making judgments not only on the outward things in the Scriptures, but they were even adding more things to what this, than going beyond what the Scriptures said. In Mark chapter 7, we'll read verses 1 to 8. Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. This is referring to Jesus, obviously. Now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defile, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding traditions of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said to them, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, for it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandments of God, you hold to the traditions of men, the watching, washing of pitchers and cups, and many other things you do. So the problem is that the religious Jews were focused on external observances to the point that they were going beyond the scriptures and adding their own man-made traditions to them. And Jesus says, your heart is far from me. The problem is their hearts. They do not have hearts that are devoted to God. The outward manifestations of religion are there but their hearts are gone. And he said, you worship me in vain. These religious people were worshiping in vain because they were replacing the commands of God with their own man-made traditions. Now let's look, look at Matthew chapter 23 where Jesus really goes after the Pharisees in a scathing rebuke. They were very religious, but their religion was focused on there many problems. Their religion was focused on outward things. Uh, Matthew chapter 23. So uh, we read a fairly lengthy passage, but I want, I want us to think about everything Jesus is saying here. Then Jesus spoke to the multitude and said to his, and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe... That observe and do, but do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers, but all their works they do are to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues, greeting in the market, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you do not call, be called Rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you're all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth Father, for one is your Father who is in heaven. Do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Continuing in verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, 
For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor you will, will you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore you will receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Woe to you blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he's obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? <clears throat> and whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gift that is on it is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift. Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by all things on it. He who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. Verse 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. What was the problem with the Pharisees? What wasn't the problem with the Pharisees? Well, they're very religious. They're focused on the external, observable, measurable aspects of the faith. Even to the point, you're supposed to be tithing, under the Old Covenant, you're supposed to be tithing all of your crops. They even go through the garden and are tithing the mints and the, and the cumin, even the little herbs that are growing around the house, they, they give 10% of that. They make prayers. They make long prayers. They have broad phylacteries. You know, you get your little tape measure out. They've got really big phylacteries on their on their forearms and on their head that they're they're really they're really overdoing it on the outward manifestations. They're even evangelistic. They go great distances to make new converts and make them even more radical and worse than they themselves are. Uh, but it's all external. It's all for people to see. And Jesus sees right through it. The problem is their hearts. Their hearts are full of greed, selfishness, self-indulgence, and corruption. They don't love God. They don't love other people. And Jesus condemned them with these words. He says, even though you outwardly appear righteous to men, inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So, outside they look really good. 
He compares them to two things that, two everyday type things. He says, one thing you're like, you're like dirty dishes, basically. You're like dirty dishes. Now, Allison was out of town for the weekend, and uh, I had to, uh, Allison generally does, does most of the dishes, so I was doing the dishes, and uh, she'd, been, she'd been gone with, with a friend for uh, a little while, and, and what happens to the dishes, particularly the coffee cups, okay, is the coffee grounds, if the coffee cup is sitting out for a while, what happens is the stuff starts crusting in the bottom. Now, if you're a lazy washer and just wash the outside and give it a quick once-over in the inside, that's not going to cut it. And so what happens after a while is you start growing stuff in there. You start growing mold. and It gets really gross. So Jesus says, basically, you're like dirty cups and dishes. You look nice on the outside, but the inside is full of all kinds of disgusting things. All right? He says the other thing. He says the one more thing that reminds me of you. He says a nice, a nice graveyard or nice, nice uh, 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 monument. He says the tombs look beautiful on the outside. Now, I don't know if this is a, a graveyard with uh, you know, flowers or if this is caves with uh, whitewashed tombs. I imagine it's a cave with a stone rolled in front. And everything's whitewashed and beautiful on the inside. He says... That's kind of what you're like. You're like a, a beautiful tomb on the outside, a whitewashed monument, but in the inside is full of death and decay. Dead men's bones on the inside. He says, basically, that's what you're like, those two things. So you wonder why Jesus got killed. Because he's blasting them. But Jesus provides the remedy for them. In verses 25 and 26, this is the important thing. Verse 25 and 26, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you cleanse the outside of the dish, but the inside are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Verse 26, Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. So, Let's pay attention to what Jesus says and also what he doesn't say. Jesus does not say, just clean the inside and don't worry about the outside. He doesn't say, just take care of the more important commands of God, but blow off the small ones, the tithing, the mint. And he says, you need to do the most important things, but don't neglect the lesser commands either. But that's what he says. He says, first... Clean the outs first clean the inside of the dish, excuse me. First clean the inside of the dish, and he says, then the outside will be clean. Now when I was washing the dishes yesterday in the cups, by the time I put in enough elbow grease to clean all the gunk out of the inside of the dish, there was practically nothing left to do to clean the outside. The outside was practically clean already. It was just a little once over. But all the hard work when you're washing out cups particularly if they've been sitting around for a while, the hard work is cleaning out the inside. The outside is the outside's nothing, practically. So that's what he says. Do this first. Focus on the inside. How does this apply to us? Well, we can look down on the Pharisees and say, well, how in the world could they be so stupid? How could they be so foolish and so blind that they are reading Deuteronomy chapter 6 and focusing on the phylacteries and missing 
the important command, which is to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. How could they do that? Certainly no one would ever do anything like that today, would they? Well, keep, let's keep in mind our, our enemy is Satan. And if he can't get us with being morally lax, he'll get us to try to get us the other way, on the, on the other, throw us off the other side of the road in making us legalistic like the Pharisees and just focusing on the outside of the dish and not on the inside. That's the problem. The Pharisees were a group of people who were saying, let's get back to following the law of Moses. That's a good instinct. Many Pharisees became obedient to the faith, too. So many of them became Christians. So they're not all bad, but there was a tendency for them to focus on the external things as they were trying to restore uh, these teachings. Let's take a hot topic and throw it right out on the table. Women's dress and head coverings, okay? Well, this is the first thing, whether we like it or not, when, when, when there's a group of us that are out in public, this is the first thing people notice about us, okay? What's with those people? What are they? They don't quite look like, well, are they Jewish? Are they Muslims? I don't know what they are. So they look at Let's face it, you know, several of us are going out in a mall somewhere and people don't know, with the guys, they don't notice anything. But with the women, they try to think, what are you guys? Um, and they don't, they don't really know. But that's, this is the first thing that people notice about us, whether we like it or not. In some circles of kingdom Christians, that the, the outward appearance of women is considered to be a like a, an identity. This is this is a sign. This is the flag. This is this is us showing who we are. Okay. This is this is part of our identity, and a, and a mark of this. And uh, is it really part of our identity? I mean, the head covering, First Corinthians chapter eleven. I'll, only I'll, I'll digress a little bit here. Um, I was on a Bible study. Um, uh, overseas recently, like very recently within the last week, and, and uh, we, were, we, were, we were studying with people who, from the Middle East over, uh, over a, a software app, we're studying with, with a group of people in the Middle East, men and women, who had come out of Muslim backgrounds, were new converts to the Christian faith, there are men and women there, were going through the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 3. And so in the course of doing that, of course, we hit anything in the New Testament that refers to those passages. So Genesis chapter 2 is mentioned in the reason why 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the teaching on head covering. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it talks about the reason for head covering, and it has to do with submission. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3, Paul says, but I want you to know the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. So this has to do with submission and the order of the universe that God has created. And then down in verse 8 and 9, Paul says, for man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. So he gives the two reasons for head covering are both rooted in Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 to 20. He talks about the woman being made as a helper for the man. And then in verses 21 to 23, it says that the woman came from the man. 
So we see here that the teaching on head covering is rooted in Genesis chapter 2. I mentioned this, and there's a moment of silence, and then one of the women pipes up, and through a translator, she says, wait a minute, isn't this what the Muslims teach about covering your head? And I said, actually, no, it's not. I said, first of all, this was 600 years before Moses. This is a Christian teaching. This is not a Muslim teaching. Second of all, he says, women have to cover their heads when they pray or prophesy. In, in hardcore Muslim countries, if a woman goes out without a head covering in public, she's going to get hassled by the police, basically, uh, because this is religious law. So I said, it, he doesn't say whenever you're out in public. He says, when you pray or prophesy, you need to do this. And I, I mentioned, I said, many women that I know want to be ready to pray at any time and will cover their heads all the time. I said, that's wonderful if they want to do that. But this is, there's significant differences between what the Christian, the Christian practice of head covering and the Muslim practice of head covering. This isn't supposed to be a sign when we're out in public. It says this is because of the angels, that we, when we pray and prophesy, we have to do that. Uh, so, so I'm explaining that to them. So the reason for head covering, it's, it's a spiritual reason. It says because of the angels, not because of the other people that are out there. And uh, the same thing, it says also men have to uncover their heads when they pray and prophesy. Does that mean that men can never wear hats? Well, I don't think so. That's... That's not what he says. It's just those, those specific times. Now, the Christian world around us has rejected and abandoned largely this teaching on head covering and the teaching on modest dress for women. And praise God, it's, it's wonderful to be in a fellowship where the women are taking this seriously, even though they're taking some arrows from the world around them. I mean... Amen. I really, I really appreciate that, that the, the, women, the sisters are doing that. But we don't have to be reacting against the world or trying to make some big statement. We just have to be Christians and simply do what the Word of God says. Let me ask you a question. Which do you think is more important? That a woman be submissive to her husband and have a submissive spirit or that she cover her head with a piece of cloth when she prays or prophesies? Which one is more important? Which one is more important, that someone loves God with their whole heart, soul, mind, or strength, or that they have a phylactery on their forehead or their arm? Okay? One is a reminder or sign of the other. The deeper command is the teaching on submission. That's the hard command. If someone in their heart understands submission to God and to all the order that God has created, once you clean the inside of the dish out, the outside of the dish is really not much of a problem, if you follow what I'm saying here. Okay, I am not dismissing in any way, shape, or form what Paul is saying there. We need to do what he's saying, but... What's the reason? What's the heart behind it? Let's get that first. Let's focus on that first rather than focus on the outward manifestation, if you understand what I'm saying. Let, let me give you another example of that. 1 Peter chapter 3. 
we had a very intense study after that. After the first one about the head covering, uh, we, we were, we were uh, studying with the the uh, uh, my friends from uh, new converts from the Middle East, uh, Muslim background. Uh, we were studying Genesis chapter three, and we Genesis three sixteen, where it says that the woman. The, the, the consequence of the sin on the woman, it says she would turn to her husband, but her husband would rule her or be, be her lord, basically. And so one of the women uh, uh, jumps in with questions and, and says, well, this is true for the Jews, but what about for the Christians? And so we looked at Ephesians chapter 5 about what it says there, and then we turned to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we read this too. And I'll read this. This too, this similar type thing. First uh, Peter uh, chapter three: Wives likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some of them do not obey the word, they without a word may be won over by the conduct of their wives, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the uncorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. I got a question when, when we're studying this passage. We're studying, we looked at some of the, with my, my friends in the Middle East, the translator is trying, he senses the tension in the room where he is. Uh, over, he's over in Turkey. He senses the tremendous tension in the room that people are struggling with, this, and he's trying to make it easier for them. He says, Chuck, could it be that instead of submission, we could just translate this word as respect? How about if we do that? Would that be okay? And I just said, read in Persian... First uh, Peter chapter three verses uh, five and six, and he read it in, in Farsi. He said, "For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good, and are not afraid with any terror." I said, "I think that answers the question right there." It gives it gives us a picture. To answer the question, we don't have to argue about words. So uh, this is, I thought at the end of this study, half of the people are going to ne never, ever want to study the Bible with me again because of this, this hard teaching. But we can't be, be soft-pedaling the teaching of the Word of God. But I want to ask you a question here in this passage. Now, many people correctly point to this passage. And by the way, it says, uh, don't let your adornment be merely... And in your Bibles, it will generally have the word merely in italics, which means that that word is not there. It's provided by the translators. So it says, don't let your adornment be outward, wearing gold, putting on apparel. Okay, but let it be inward. Now, let me ask you, which is more important? To get rid of all the outward adornments, okay? No makeup, no jewelry, no fancy clothes, no fancy hair. Which is more important? Is it that or is it to have a gentle and quiet spirit? What is the focus? What is the most important command here? 
He's saying, women, you need to make yourselves beautiful inwardly. This is the kind of beauty, not the outward beauty. None of that stuff, like the world. You need to focus on inward beauty. So if a woman gets rid of all outward adornment, but doesn't have a quiet and gentle spirit, and is not submissive to her own husband like Sarah, how is she different than the Jews who had their nice big phylacteries but really didn't love God and other people? It's the same thing. You can't just be, you have to focus first on the inward part without neglecting the outward part. But that's, it's an easy tendency for religious people to focus on the outward. After all, you can see it, and it's a distinction for everybody around us. What is our identity supposed to be? If it's not our clothing and our lack of adornment, if, if our identity is not supposed to come from the outward things, what is it supposed to come from? According to Jesus in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 40, uh, 35, he said, A new command I give you, love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So the mark of a disciple, the identity, the distinguishing characteristic is not outward fashion or lack thereof. It's love. It's the, it's the love from the inside that radiates to the outside. The other one is unity. And this is a tough one. Uh, in John chapter 17, verses 20, and 20, 20 to 23, says, I don't pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, as you, Father, in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So this is the second characteristic, the identifying characteristic of a Christian. It's not outward adornment. It's not outward appearances. It's unity that all of us are one, as Jesus and the Father are one. These are the distinguishing signs. So, which is harder? To love, to love as Jesus loved us and to be as unified as Jesus and the Father are, or to change our clothing? Or to wear broad phylacteries? or focus on other measurable external things. We all know what the answer is. I want to make sure you understand, you don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. Jesus says, first clean out the inside of the dish. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, Jesus says, this is love of God to keep his commandments, and his commands are not burdensome. We need to keep all the commands of God, the big ones and the little ones. But first, we start by cleaning out the inside of the dish, and then we clean the outside. Uh, let's not Satan defeat us, who were serious about obeying the teachings of Jesus, by getting us off track like he got the Pharisees, by focusing on the external first. Let's clean out the inside of the dish First, amen.